to episode 66 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who cannot stay awake past 10 o'clock at night, John Scott Sloat. Doc, what's going on? It makes it makes watching sports hard. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a struggle, I'm sure. Yeah. Particularly when those... When baseball's playing West Coast games starting at like ten ten, that's a rough yeah. start. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So beyond your struggles to stay awake, what's going on with John Sloat? Not much. Uh, Easter weekend was nice, beautiful weather. Yeah. Um, got a chance to do quite a bit of landscaping at our house. It feels like it feels like for the most part we've we're we're done with freezing temperatures here in Indiana, Let, uh, which is a little so. early. Which is a little early for us. You I might think. you might be optimistic there. Yeah, but, uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, yeah, we'll have to add to our uh, weekly grass report the uh, the landscaping piece now. Yeah, well, we're getting ready to we're getting ready to put down some more grass seed probably this week. Okay, okay, probably but trees? Yes, we plant. Some yeah, trees. yeah. Put two new trees in this week. A few bushes. Um, yeah, yeah. Some plants. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Put in some new trees. Um, hopefully they take off. Knock on wood. Our last one didn't. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. So this weekend also was the final four, and we are recording on Monday morning. So unfortunately, this is a bit of a quirk of the recording schedule. Yeah. Uh, by the time this releases, the national champion will have been crowned, but uh, we don't know who we it don't is. know who it is right now. So, so we're going to record two segments. <laughs> no, one we're not. talking about how amazing Baylor was. Nope. And one talking about how amazing Gonzaga was. Yeah. Yeah, if we were men of leisure, we might, but <laughs> neither of us are men of leisure. So so let's talk about those final four games. And uh, going into the weekend, I think I'd even said to both my wife and, and one of my sons that you know the early game is going to be the competitive one, Baylor against Houston. Mm-hmm. That looked on paper at least like it would probably be the more competitive game. Gonzaga against UCLA, even though UCLA had been playing well – Gonzaga's just been rolling through people. Sure. And, of course, it went the opposite direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Baylor was a bit of a blowout. Yeah. Um, they jumped on Houston early and just beat them down. So that game was over within probably the first seven minutes of that game. Hmm. And then uh, and then the, the Gonzaga game that I slept through uh, <laughs> was, was much closer. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. So I was watching that with my wife and Jake and a couple of his buddies. And um, we had actually – so we watched the first half. Mm-hmm. And then at halftime, we switched over and watched um, the 4A high school boys basketball championship game, like the second half-ish, third quarter, fourth quarter of that, knowing that we could come back to the Baylor – or sorry, the Gonzaga – UCLA game mm-hmm. and just, you know, speed through the commercials and catch up to it. So that high school game went a little bit longer than we anticipated. And then so we, we started catching up with the Gonzaga UCLA game. And pretty quickly, we, we realized all of us had to put our phones down because <laughs> you're starting to get those like yeah. post game alerts and that sort of like, no, don't want that. But that was a uh, that was a remarkable finish. And uh, UCLA played amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, really pushed Gonzaga, but you know when you when you got a guy that hits a shot from just inside a half court to win it, <laughs> I mean you just got to shake your head and go, well, 
We did, we did what we could. Yeah. <laughs> Good effort. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think Gonzaga showed their toughness and their grit and UCLA showed that they, they, they found whatever they were lacking earlier in the year because they were not this team earlier in the year. They, mm-hmm. they finally hit a stretch here where they just put it all together. Yeah. And they've got that kid, uh, is it Jazang, I think is his last name? I'm not sure. Who's going to be yeah. probably a top five or ten pick in the NBA draft. Um, so he was fun to watch. But, um, yeah, I again, I, I, I am Mr. Uh, anti-hype here. So immediately in the aftermath, of course, you get all of the hot takes of, that was the greatest Final Four game ever. <laughs> Slow, slow your roll, people. Like yeah. it was a great game, and it is it. And I think ten years from now we'll look back and go, that was one of the best Final Four games, probably. But I, I just I have this aversion to we are such cre- the sports media is such a creature of the moment, where oh, anything yeah. happens and it's, that's the greatest ending, the greatest performance. Stop it! Just slow down here. Let's just enjoy it for that was great. Without having to immediately rush to, that's the greatest. Or where's that rank in the in the greatest of like? Can we just enjoy it? Say yeah, let, let it rest. Great. Let it rest. Let and, it and let's see how bit. it ages. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Yeah. So uh, that means that Gonzaga now plays for the national championship against Baylor, and as a result of that, they could now become the first team since the 1976 Indiana Hoosiers mm-hmm. for uh, to complete a an undefeated national championship season. Yeah, yeah, it's right there for the taking. I'm now the Baylor looks amazing right now, mm-hmm. and so who who knows how that'll go? But. Yeah, and um, I I will give credit to the IU fans. I like to needle them a little bit, <laughs> but um, you know I, they are understandably proud of that 1976 team, understandably so. Sure, but I am grateful that they are not they are not to the level of the. 70, is it 72 or 73 Dolphins, the the last undefeated NFL championship team? Oh, where they like pop champagne anytime somebody loses. Uh, They're obnoxious. Yeah. yeah. They are deeply obnoxious. The IU fans are understandably proud. There's a few out there maybe that are a little like uh, a little obnoxious, kind of thumping their chests about that little piece of trivia. But, you know, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I mean, the nice thing is the Dolphins have been bad for a long time since yeah, then. Yeah. And I mean not that IU's been great, but um, they've at least had some competitive teams in the last yeah. 15 years. Yeah. Um, and by the way, did you – yeah, we, we should probably mention the uh, listener feedback we got from uh, Lee in Indiana from the email that you forwarded me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What specifically about it? Well, he wanted to clarify the record that uh, – Apparently, Thad Mata was never uh, given a physical for the job at IU and that the tweet that you – Yeah, uh, he was upset with our fact-checking. Yeah, so 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 Lee in Indiana is our IU fact-checking department apparently now. And IU apologist. Yes. Um, yeah, he said the tweet that, that I mentioned where I'm 63 years old was a parody account, which – Yeah. OK. That's fine. <laughs> um, the record has been officially corrected now. Yeah. I don't think any of that is not true, um, but anyway. Um, and then he goes, uh, Thad Mata didn't undergo a physical part of his interview process. That was a rumor. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Duly noted, right? Th- thanks, Lee. Yeah. I appreciate okay. it. All right. Gotcha. All right. <laughs> so 
in any case, um, I'm resisting the urge to make my true feelings known about the phenomena here in Indiana about IU basketball fans and Notre Dame football fans. Like, in other words, there's a massive part of the population who are, I'm a Notre Dame football fan and I'm an IU basketball fan. That's a phenomena here. You've come across this, yes? Yeah, I don't. Th- I'm I'm not a Big Ten guy, so I think that distinction is less important to me than probably. Well, you're not a college. I'm not a college guy. sports. It's guy. not as much no. a Big Ten thing. It's a college sports thing. So, but I know I do know that uh, Lee in Indiana falls into that category. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. Now, any particular words you would use to describe a person like that? Um, <laughs> that you can say on air. Conflicted. <laughs> <laughs> okay. In any case. Um, Stay in your lane. Pick a team. Anyway, uh, bracket challenge. Yeah. So by the time this airs, there um, will be a winner. There will be a winner. So it's come down to this. If Gonzaga wins the national chi- title, uh, we have got uh, Hick Sensation Yep. will win the pool. Yep. And if Baylor wins the national title, you will. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm very excited for my signed can, copy. Can, of, can, uh, <laughs> can we call for a, uh, a a recount here? Is there are there mechanisms in place for checking the legitimacy of the results here? I mean, you organize the bracket, so you know there's there's, there's going to be some conspiracy theories out there about the legitimacy of your win if it happens. That's okay. Uh, they're not true. They're not okay. based in evidence or fact. Okay, but. All right. So, in any case, uh, we'll have to f- we'll have to really think <laughs> through that. Kevin uh, Kevin J would would be in second place if Baylor wins. So yeah. we'll have to see if maybe we can uh, do a solid for him and throw him a bone as well. So you you have all of, all of my books. Just about. <laughs> I'm missing one. <laughs> okay, only the most expensive one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm missing the dissertation. The yeah. uh, the uh, what is it a hundred what what's what's the market rate of that right now? Uh, my New Testament theology class checked last week and it was up around two hundred now. Okay, well you know inflation over the last several years you know so <laughs> um, yeah looking forward to getting yeah. a signed copy yeah. of the dissertation. All right, uh, so, so so tell me about your Mets, John. How are they doing in this early season? Uh, as one reporter described them, like a caged animal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A caged wild animal hoping to escape soon. Um, if you had not heard the news, uh, the Mets uh, were supposed to play the Nationals this week, and the Nationals went down uh, with four or five cases of COVID and a number of people contact traced as well. So they couldn't put a team on the field. And so the Mets had all three of their games, the Thursday, the Saturday, and the Sunday games canceled. And they have opening day tonight, Monday night. Uh, on uh, on uh, SNY, which is kind of the silver lining here. If you remember the buying of the Mets in the offseason, yeah. uh, A-Rod and J-Lo, who are now on the rocks apparently, mm. um, shocker, uh, were, were making a bid to buy the Mets. Yeah. A-Rod was going to be in the broadcast booth for the opening day Mets game. Okay. Bad decision. Bad choice by ESPN. So... Uh, I think uh, I'd much prefer to have uh, Gary, Keith, and Ron in the booth for the SNY game. Okay. And uh, I'm getting, now I'm getting into the weeds of the broadcasters <laughs> of the Mets, and, and we can move on. Uh, we should probably quickly check in with your Knicks. 
Yeah, uh, three games in the last week. They lost two, um, so I think they're seventh in the East. Yeah, big jumble from like fifth through tenth. Yeah, yeah, and I think they have the a tough. I think they have a tough week coming up. I think they have some good teams. Seventy Sixers, maybe. But, okay. Yeah. Well, we one thing we failed to do at the beginning of the episode, and this is this is on me, is we failed to mention how people can connect with us. Oh yeah. Uh, so you can find us on Twitter at V and S Pod. You can email the show, which is what Lee from Indiana did. He emailed the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, which we had a listener reach out and connect with us this week, which yeah. is great. Yeah, nice to – Listening nice to, to backlogs of episodes. Yeah. Like he was referencing things that we had talked about sure. maybe a year ago. Wow. OK. Uh, we are also on YouTube, uh, Various and Sundry Podcast, and if you're so moved – you can leave us a review wherever you uh, listen to your podcasts. And we wanted to give a shout out to Vince in Indiana who yeah. left us a, a a nice review and a five-star rating. And I, I thought of this as we were working our way through all the sports that he doesn't care about, which he yes. specifically mentions in he the – He specifically mentions. Yes. And how it's how it's a problem for him to get through those. But um, we, we appreciate – want to affirm his uh, perseverance, his mm-hmm. dedication to, yeah. to push through that segment of the program. But uh, we'll use that as our opportunity to transition and move forward into our main topic for today. And John, what is that topic? Yeah, so we're talking about uh, an early church father um, of some mystery uh, named uh, named Polycarp. So uh, yeah, we've uh, we've chosen this topic, frankly, because I think I'm teaching through uh, church history right now. Came across Polycarp, mentioned it to you as a potential topic, and we've sort of run with it from there. And yeah, I'm I'm excited to talk about Polycarp a little bit. Yes, yeah. So uh, you know, this this blends both of our interests. You know, there. There's, uh, you know, Bible theology, ministry. This is, you know, we, we don't explicitly mention history in in our little tagline there, but that it's also part of the the backdrop. And it's, it's yeah. informing our understanding of the church, right? So understanding sure. our heritage as the church and looking at key figures. Uh, and when when you look at some of the the figures in the early church. Polycarp is a is a fascinating individual, and that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why we wanted to talk about him this particular week. So let's start with uh, who is this guy? Let's tell a little bit about his back about his backstory here. Yeah. So what what's interesting about Polycarp is we just don't have very many of his writings surviving. Um, mm-hmm. We have really have a letter to the Philippians that seems to be two letters kind of fused together, uh, and perhaps even some scraps of some other uh, some other letters as well um, that exist out there. And then uh, we have a detailed account of, of when he was killed, when he was martyred. Um, what we, and then we have uh, uh, the early church father. Uh, you pronounce his name differently than I, but we decided to go with your pronunciation. What is it? Well, you can go either Irenaeus or Irenaeus. Irenaeus, um, uh, who mentions him and tells stories uh, that he has. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so we have some of those snippets about him. Um, what we know about him is that he uh, seems to be a disciple of uh, the Apostle John. Um, yeah. And so would have gone— As in the Apostle John. Yeah, yes, yeah. the Apostle John. And like <laughs> not just like really liked his work and, and read it a whole lot. Uh, right, but not like, a fanboy. Right, but like 
ministered with him, traveled with him, mm-hmm. learned from him, uh, studied with him, and uh, yeah, d- did quite a bit with him, eventually uh, becoming the bishop of Smyrna. Yes. Uh, which is in Tur- modern-day Turkey. Yeah, western Turkey, um, almost directly north of Ephesus. So, Have you been there? I have. Okay, what, what was it like? What's that? What's There's, that? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, the a lot of the ruins in those cities just kind of tend to blur together. Okay. <laughs> so I'm trying to remember specifically uh, if anything stood out to me from that. I mean, Smyrna is one of the churches that, that receives one of the seven letters in the book sure. of Revelation, which is why it's um, – you know, significant for New Testament period in terms of, uh, in terms of that. But um, yeah, so part of what makes Polycarp so significant is he he really is this transitional figure. Mm-hmm. So he has overlap with the end of the apostolic period with the apostle John, and he lives long enough into the middle of the second century that he is kind of part of that transition from the the end of the apostolic period into where the church begins to kind of take on more uh, institutional Mm -hmm. structure and uh, firmness and solidity in terms of being more established, moving slowly from the, you know, kind of fledgling house church kind of movements to the, no, there's a larger uh, ecclesiological structure with the church at Rome beginning to take more prominence. But also uh, just, yeah, I, I think that's probably the best way to put it in terms of just greater structure. Yeah, and and I think by structure you're saying each city really has a bishop. Um, mm-hmm. the, the groups and churches and membership, for lack of a better term, right. is growing in each of those cities. Um, it's expanding. Um, you know, I'm, I don't have it in front of me, but uh, there's some historians that look at how Christianity grew, some Roman historians that are just really frustrated that Christianity is growing. And they're just like, they don't have schools. <laughs> they, they don't have uh, grand master teachers. They're just normal people in bakeries and tanneries right? Uh, sharing their faith and talking about what they believe. And, and people are attracted to this and are converting, Yeah, um, which I think is is fascinating. Yeah, and there's probably some lessons there for us thinking oh, today yeah. about um, how does the gospel spread. Not that – I mean there, there is evidence that the uh, – that Christianity was penetrating not just among – it was spreading not just among the, the masses, but it was beginning in pockets, in little in isolated pockets to, to uh, infiltrate – That's that sounds like a nefarious <laughs> term, but, but to spread among upper classes and even into certain pockets of – um, you know, Roman officials and that sort sure. of stuff. So yeah. just fascinating to see that begin to happen during this period. And uh, so I, I think, you know, one of the places where perhaps Polycarp first kind of comes onto the scene historically, at least as I understand it, is that Ignatius mm-hmm. on his way to be uh, executed, right? He, he was arrested, yeah. being taken to Rome and uh, he famously wrote, I think it was like seven letters, right? He wrote several letters. Yeah, yeah. He wrote several letters to the churches uh, in the area saying things like, don't come. <laughs> yeah, don't, <laughs> don't try to rescue me. Yeah, like, let, let me die. Let me let me be uh, martyred. Right. Basically. And so several of them were to churches, but one of them he wrote was to Polycarp. Yeah. 
and uh, that that probably gives you some sense already of his importance. And those letters that Ignatius wrote were, I think, weren't they around like 120 AD, somewhere around yeah, there? That sounds about right. So probably at that point, Polycarp is. We, I don't know that we have a specific date when we know Polycarp was born. Mm-mm. We have a good estimate as to when he died, probably around 155 to mm-hmm. 160. So, and and at his death, he was 86, as we'll find as out. As we'll in, find out in, in a little bit, yeah. yeah. So, you know, that puts him, and if he's going to overlap with the Apostle John, so let's say he was probably, maybe by the time Ignatius writes him, he's, is he 40 years old? Yeah, something like that, 30s, 40s. Yeah, and already has a pretty significant uh, ministry leadership role there in the church in in Smyrna. So, um, so where do you want to go from here, John? We talked a little bit about his his life story. Do you want to fill in anything more before we get to? I mean, he's best known for his end. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but I, but I will I will point out that um, that end did not come without years and years of fruitful ministry. Um, you know. Uh, um, there, there, there are a lot of people today that, that want glorious ends or major followings or, or without the day-to-day faithfulness mm-hmm. that it requires. And I think Polycarp's a good example of that, that had just a ton of faithfulness as you work through um, his life. Um, There's a couple of anecdotes we got to tell about Polycarp yes, here. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so uh, uh, I always call him Irenaeus. What do, you, what do you call him? Irenaeus. Irenaeus. There we go. Um he uh, he he starts talking about Polycarp and John together, and how they are going into a bathhouse together. And let me let me read this excerpt from Irenaeus. Um, and there are some who have been told by him how that John, uh, the Lord's disciple in Ephesus, going to bathe and seeing uh, uh, Serenius, um in that place, who who would have been a Gnostic teacher yep. uh, in that day. Um, uh, John leaped out of the bath without using it, adding, let us fly, lest the very bath fall on us, uh, where Centurius, uh, uh, the enemy of truth is. Uh, and this is something Polycarp would have relayed yeah. uh, to Irenaeus, um, which I think is just a phenomenal story, <laughs> mostly about John, but tells you how close uh, John and Polycarp really were. Right. Yeah. So uh, the the bathhouse in those days would have been a uh, kind of a, a common place where people hung out mm-hmm. and um, as well as not just relaxed, but also uh, depending on where you were at, uh, some some of these bathhouses even had attached to them, you know, uh, where public – where teachers would come in and offer, you know, their uh, – would come in and lecture and teach. And so it was kind of a community gathering place. But um, – so it's not surprising that that John and Polycarp would be there, and, nor is it uh, surprising that that Corinthus would would have been there as well. Yeah. So. But yeah, just one of those fun anecdotes about good old Polycarp. And um, you know, there, there's another one here uh, that he also apparently had some sort of interaction with Marcion. Yes. Yes. Um, now, remind us who Marcion is. So Marcion uh, is the uh, early heretic uh, who was was quite wealthy, was a shipbuilder, and his his whole family sort of uh, did all this stuff. And he, um, unlike other uh, unlike other uh, heretics of the day, started his own church and set up his own canon and, and did all these things um, and cut out the Old Testament um, 
uh, cut out Matthew's gospel, wanted Luke, portions of Luke, uh, and Paul's letters, uh, mm-hmm. except for the pastorals. And so he had this very, like, rigid uh, sense and, uh, yeah, was, was quite a devastating uh, heretic to the early church. And Mid, he, mid-second century here. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he runs in, uh, you know, Polycarp and him meet at some point. And as as the story goes, Marcion says something to him like, knowest thou me? Like, you know me? Do you know who I am? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Do you know who I am? And Polycarp, <laughs> who has, uh, has a phenomenal ability to just sort of turn a phrase, goes, I know the firstborn of Satan. <laughs> Yes. Which, uh, as we'll see in his martyrdom here in a little bit, you know that he just has an ability to to really pack a punch uh, with what yeah. he's saying. So he'd have been a fun follow on Twitter. Yes, yes. Maybe we should start that parody account <laughs> where we're just throwing out Polycarp. What Polycarp would have said yes. to said to this or him and Martin Luther. Yeah, yeah. Both of them, you know, had an ability just to just to stick it to you. Good with the one liners. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah. So obviously. Polycarp was a, a man who was deeply committed to the truth of the gospel, the purity of the gospel, and was a key, uh, as we've said, a key link between the apostolic period and the early church. And I think that can get sometimes undervalued because when you've got someone who was, in essence, a a close companion to one of the apostles mm-hmm. – they're in a great position then to be able to be like, no, 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 that's not what the apostles taught. I, I know John. You know, yeah. I was with John. I know he didn't think that. I yeah. know he didn't teach that. So uh, that, that was a, that's an important role, I think, in the, in, in the history of the, of the early church there. But we should probably talk a little bit about – let's talk about his, uh, his letter to the Philippians because we'll, we'll make sure we – Spent plenty sure. of time on his martyrdom, which is he was most famous for. Yeah, but uh, he did write a letter to the Philippians, and you know, as as scholars do, they debate when such letters were written. Sure. And as you hinted at earlier, uh, there's thoughts that perhaps what we have as the letter of Polycarp might have been a uh, a mashing together of multiple letters, but. Um, what are some things that stand out to you from that? Yeah, so uh, I have my class, uh, my church history class, read this letter. Um, it's not that long. Uh, I mean, maybe two and a half pages uh, on eight by eleven printed, mm-hmm. and uh, and one of the one of the striking things about it is how much scripture he alludes to uh, in the midst of his writing, where. Mm-hmm. It almost reads as if he's writing to try to reproduce scripture in some form or fashion. It actually led one of my students to go, why wasn't this included in the canon? You know, which mm-hmm. uh, as you read it, it sounds uh, qu- quite a bit like scripture. And, and I, could, I could see somebody reading this going like, oh, yeah, this, this sounds like Paul or sounds like John or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, whoever it may be. Um, so yeah, that's that's one of the things that sticks out to me. Uh, how about how about yourself? And are you going to read a little bit for us? Yeah, there, there's what what's striking is just his very language, the way that he talks and mm. writes is so shaped by scripture, and not just Old Testament scripture, but New Testament yeah books, right? And so that's part of the part of the value of, of Polycarp from a historical perspective is to see. 
So what New Testament books does he seem to be familiar with? And does he uh, maybe indirectly quote? So uh, books like 1 Peter and uh, several of Paul's letters, including I think it seems pretty clear he's aware of Paul's letter to the Philippians, which makes sense if he's writing sure. to the Philippians. Uh, I, I think that there's there's language that when you hear it sounds very similar to lines out of uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians, uh, like uh, in uh, chapter 10, verse 1, stand fast or uh, stand firm, therefore, in these things and follow the example of the Lord, firm and immovable in faith, loving the family of believers, cherishing one another, united in the truth, giving way to one another in the gentleness of the Lord, despising no one. So almost every phrase in that could potentially be linked back to something in uh, Paul's letter to the uh, Philippians or, for example, in chapter 8, verse 1, let us therefore hold steadfastly and unceasingly to our hope and the guarantee of our righteousness, who is Christ Jesus, who bore our sins in his own body upon the tree, who committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Instead, for our sakes, he endured all things in order that we might live in him. So again, it's these are I'm I'm so glad to hear that you're having your students in your history of Christianity class read excerpts or even whole documents mm-hmm. like this because these are just completely off the radar of so many Christians. And when you go in and read and recognize the devotional value of these, not just the historical value, but sure. a, a window into the piety of these early believers and recognizing, sure, these aren't scripture, but they're really helpful and really um, you know, beneficial to the life of the believer, even reading them today. You, at the end of the letter, even, you get a sense that uh, – you get a sense of an early church practice where um, he's sending along with this letter – uh, some of uh, some some other early church fathers' letters, and, and they were to copy it down and reproduce it and send it on to the mm-hmm. to the next church. Um, and that seemed to just be. He doesn't say like, "I have this new revolutionary idea." <laughs> it's more of yeah. a like, "This is what we do." Yeah. You know, we we take these letters, we reproduce them, and we send them on to so that others can benefit from them. And that's you know, it's a it's a good picture of what's just happening in the in this early church where. Um, there are seasons of persecution that happen, yet uh, they're, they're committed to the scripture and to one another's flourishing, uh, which mm-hmm. I think is excellent. Yeah. So let's go ahead and move on then to probably what he is most well known for, and that's the uh, the martyrdom of Polycarp. Sure. So this uh, – let's start with this document. First of all, the document that's called the martyrdom of Polycarp. Uh, is basically in the form of a letter from the church at Smyrna where Polycarp served and uh, articulating how Polycarp died, mm-hmm. how he was executed by the authorities. So let's uh, let's let's kind of set the stage. What what's happening that is going to lead to Polycarp being executed? Yeah. So. Um... Polycarp for year at the time that this takes place, that the writing of this takes place, Polycarp's a, a very very old man. Yeah, um, he says in the in the letter, the portion of it, chapter nine, that we'll read here in just a minute, that that he was eighty six. 
Right. Um, Which is especially old in the ancient world like that. When when the average life expectancy for a man was probably like 40 in the 40s. Yes. Um, And he is being charged uh, with um, basically crimes against humanity. Um, yes. Right, like, not to be confused with the game. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, but but basically saying that uh, Rome sort of had this policy that if you don't, uh, you can worship your gods, you can do your own thing, right? But but you also have to pay uh, uh, homage to the emperor. You have to worship Roman gods, uh, and they saw this as a way to keep the society settled uh, and unified. Right. Uh, and if everybody was breaking off and worshiping other gods, they thought society would crumble. Right. Um, and so they're uh, in charging Polycarp. This is one of the things that they're charging him with is that, my goodness, you're not showing uh, honor to the emperor. You're right. not worshiping Roman gods. Uh, repent, basically. Right. And, and the the Roman Empire had granted the Jewish people an exception clause sure. because of their – monotheism and basically mm-hmm. once they took over the land of Israel the, the Jews made it clear like dude we are not going to worship the emperor mm-hmm. but we'd be willing to offer a sacrifice to our god for uh on behalf of the emperor and asking our god to bless the emperor and the romans realized that's probably a good that's compromise. Probably, that's otherwise, probably as good as we're going to be able to do. <laughs> otherwise, we're just going to be constantly at war with the Jews. Mm-hmm. So, and even still, they ended up having to, you know, they still had several rebellions. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. In any case, uh, initially, the early Christians seemed to have kind of fit under that, but mm-hmm. then once you get to this, by, by this point, once the temple has been destroyed in seventy A.D. and the, the the break between Christianity and Judaism has become more apparent. Sure. Uh, now, now Christians are kind of on their own, and so the Roman Empire is navigating. What do we do with these people? Sure. So, as you said, one of the sort of loyalty tests was the offering of incense to the mm-hmm. emperor as a sign of loyalty that you weren't going to start a rebellion. And uh, for the early Christians, they realized, no, that's that's a compromise of our exclusive devotion to Christ. Mm-hmm. And we will not do it. So where does that get us with Polycarp here? So uh, Polycarp gets uh, dragged in front of uh, what's called in the in the chapter the proconsul, um, and they are uh, interrogating him, basically saying, uh, "Just say away with you, atheist," uh, which is what would have been a charge against the Christians, right? Because they would have said uh, the Roman gods are not. Are not uh, are not real, so they would have called right. Christians atheists, which I think is funny today. Right um, away with the atheist, away with the atheist, um, and uh, and revile Christ, and and you'll be good. We'll, yeah. we'll let you go. And yeah. basically, they even go to the point of going like, "Have respect for your age." Right? Do you, you're have, an old man. Do you really want to die this way? <laughs> please, please, we're begging you. Just say these things. We yeah. don't really, you know, but please do it. Um, yeah, and it's interesting. the The proconsul keeps ratcheting things up, uh, even as you know. So he keeps saying, thing, you know, the proconsul swear by the genius of Caesar." Yeah, that's chapter ten, right? Yeah, yeah chapter ten, <laughs> verse one. And then uh, Polycarp answers, "If you vainly suppose that I will swear by the genius of Caesar as you request and pretend not to know who I am, listen carefully. I am a Christian. Now, if you want to learn the doctrine of Christianity." 
Name a day and give me a hearing. <laughs> <laughs> ever the ever the evangelist, right? Yeah. And then so the proconsul keeps ratcheting things up. He's like, I have wild beasts. I will throw you to them unless you change your mind. <laughs> and Polycarp's like, call for them. <laughs> Bring them out. And and then the proconsul's like, I will have you consumed by fire. And Polycarp's like, you threaten with a fire that burns only briefly, and after just a little while, it extinguishes, for you are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment, which is reserved for the ungodly. But why do you delay? Come, do what you wish. <laughs> and that kind of sets the stage for the climactic, uh, you know, the, the climactic experience here, right? Where we've got. Um, you know, they, they decide, obviously, we're not going to talk this guy out uh, of, of what he wants to do. And so um, we're, we're going to get this climactic experience where they decide, OK, we're going to burn you alive. Mm-hmm. And uh, Polycarp has this very profound, uh, well-known uh, kind of statement here that has uh, kind of stuck with the church. That This kind of stands out. You want to go ahead and and, and – and read that for us here. Sure. Are we talking chapter 9? Yes. Okay. 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 Um, he says uh, – well, let me let me just read – oh, I'll start at verse 2. Uh, Therefore, when he was brought forward, uh, the proconsul asked him if he uh, were Polycarp and when he admitted it, uh, he tried to persuade them to, to deny, saying, respect for your age and so forth, uh, as they were accustomed to say, swear by the genius of Caesar – Repent and say, away with the atheist. But Polycarp, with a stern countenance, looked on all the crowd of lawless heathen in the <laughs> arena, and waving his hands to them, he groaned and looked to heavens and said, uh, excuse me, he groaned, oh, this is the proconsul, away with the atheist. But the proconsul uh, pressed him and said, uh, take the oath uh, and I will let you go, revile Christ. Polycarp said, for eighty and six years have I been his servant, uh, and he has done me no wrong. And how can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Moving. Stunning. And um, uh, just a remarkable testimony of, of his uh, devotion to Christ and his standing firm in the face of persecution there. Um, now, I, I think we should probably – uh, should note there are some uh, how shall we how shall we say depending on what version of this account you're you're reading there there are some um, elements that suggest that perhaps uh, maybe some embellishments of the story <laughs> yeah that uh, so it, so this is in chapter fifteen. Um, for the fire taking the shape of an arch like the sail of a ship filled by the wind, completely surrounded the body of the martyr, and it was there in the middle, not like flesh burning, but like bread baking, (laughs) or like gold and silver being refined in a furnace. For we also perceived a very fragrant aroma, as if it were the scent of incense or some other precious spice. So there's just, you know, some of these elements which later in the history of the church become much more prevalent in some of the... uh, embellished accounts sure. of of martyrdom but 
in any case. So big picture takeaways from the life of Polycarp, John. Um, well, I, I'd say one, uh, uh, just the sheer faithfulness uh, mm-hmm. to, to be to be living uh, for 86 years, uh, following Christ, being a disciple of John, um, serving faithfully at Smyrna, um, and then not reviling Christ at the end. Yeah. Uh, when asked and accused, how about how about yourself? Any anything? Yeah, the the beauty of a life that is lived faithfully for Christ and finishing well, mm-hmm. finishing well, and um, I think that uh, that's something that all of us should aspire to in terms of finishing well. You, you think of the number of biblical figures, as well as even just contemporary examples of people who don't finish yeah. their lives well and and undermine their life of ministry through some kind of failure or something like that. But uh, And I also think there's just a value, there's a devotional value to the writings of the early church that many of us as uh, I think in our circles often don't see or aren't aware of because Mm -hmm. we're so averse to – well, the Catholic Church is all big into the Church Fathers, so sure. we're just back to the Bible, back to the Bible. Yes, but we need to uh, also recognize that there is value for all of us as believers in these writings. Yeah, absolutely. I will say it's one of the things that my church history class has responded to me and gone like, we really love reading. I've been doing one first – one uh, ancient reading every class yeah. period where they just get in groups and read these things and they've really enjoyed that, which has been really awesome. Yeah. One – uh, recommended resource that I've got listed here is the version of uh, the Apostolic Fathers by Michael Holmes, which has both Greek and English. Ooh! So it's a good opportunity to practice some of your Greek if you are a uh, have, have that training. If not, just read the English page. That's fine. There are other versions out there by Michael Holmes, the Apostolic Fathers. But this is episode sixty-six, and we have got to move on to our athlete. Yeah, so uh, so some choices. Um, uh, our first choice, uh, potentially, Mario Lemieux. Yeah. Uh, of course, great Penguin uh, center for a number of years and now owner of the Pittsburgh Penguins as well. Yes. Yeah, one of the all-time greats in, in, in the NHL, to be yeah. sure. And then we've got a few, um, again, offensive linemen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ray Nitschke. Nitschke. Actually, he was a linebacker for the for the Packers from 58 to 72. So he played, of course, on all their, their great teams there. Conrad Dobler was a guard for the a Cardinals, name. Saints, yeah. Bills uh, from 72 to 81. And then for Ohio State, Tommy James was a halfback who played in 1942, then served three years in World War II ah. and came back and played again in 1946 was on a national championship team coached by Paul Brown. Oh. So is there really any debate here, John? I don't think so. I think it's Mario Lemieux. Agreed. Yeah. All right. I don't think there's much of a debate there. Yeah. Okay. One thing you liked. Uh, over the weekend, we had the pleasure of having Andrea's birthday, um, my wife. So I uh, had a good time celebrating that over uh, the weekend, um, keeping things low key, but uh, we both love tiramisu, so we enjoyed some tiramisu over the weekend. Okay, you, your uh, your your commitment to avoiding sugar is waning. Is yeah. is uh, not weakening, but it's it's been under assault of uh, 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 over the last 
six months-ish, year? Yeah, year, I'd say. Okay. Um, people keep showing up with sweets uh, for me, <laughs> and I just don't know why that is. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, I, I'm going to keep the birthday theme and uh, wish a happy 23rd birthday to my oldest son, John, who his birthday is the day this episode releases on oh, April 6th. Okay. means the Masters are almost here. Yes, yes. I, I, it was back and forth as to which was going to be my one thing I liked, whether it was going to be <laughs> my son's birthday or the Masters. Or looking forward to the Masters. Yeah, yeah. it's a tradition <laughs> unlike any other. So, well, we have talked about March Madness. We have checked in with our fact-checking department uh, about IU basketball. We've checked in with the winless Mets. They and, are... and lossless. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm I more of a pessimist. You're more of an optimist. Yes. Optimist. yes. So. I will say uh, they are third in the division right now, ahead of the Braves. <laughs> okay. Uh, and we've talked a good bit about Polycarp, a guy yeah. that you need to know more about. And uh, we've talked Mario Lemieux, one of the great ones in the NHL, and we've extended birthday greetings. So I think by definition, we have uh, accomplished our mission, yes? Absolutely. So in light of that, I think all that is left for us to say is, the Lord bless you all real good. Later. Later.